Well, welcome to all of you who have chosen to join us for a conversation on religion and the arts with Wilson Yates, Emeritus President and Professor of the Arts and Religion and Society at United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. This is one of an occasional series of conversations with leading figures in the field of religion and the arts offered by the Society for the Arts in Religious and Theological Studies, SARTS, as we'll probably refer to it often. SARTS' mission is uh, to be a community of scholars, teachers, and practitioners of the arts that seeks to foster creative and critical inquiry into the role the arts play in interpreting human experience, deepening theological inquiry, and shaping religious faith and life. Sartes and United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities jointly published the journal Arts, founded by Wilson, that focuses also on religion and the arts. These podcasts are another means of opening and extending the conversation to all who are interested in the intersections of religion, theology, and the arts, whether that be academics, pastors, artists, lovers of art, theology, the life of faith, or simply the curious. I'm Bill Cahoy, Dean and Professor Emeritus of the School of Theology and Seminary at St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota, member of the Board of Sarts and colleague of Wilson's in his role as president from the Minnesota Consortium of Theological Schools. Wilson was a colleague who benefited this dean much and uh, was a mentor along the way. So about our guest, Wilson Yates. Few people have been as active in both the scholarly and programmatic dimensions of the religion, theology, and art world as Wilson. He earned his PhD from Harvard in their program in religion and society. His first academic position was as assistant professor of church and society at United Seminary in the Twin Cities, beginning in 1967. He remained there his entire career, serving as dean, from 1988 to 96, and moving from there to president, 96 to 2005, when he retired. Throughout, he was an active scholar, even during his administrative service, publishing several books and numerous articles. His primary focus was theology and the arts, writing on various individual artists, as well as on themes such as the grotesque in religion, art, and literature, and the arts in theological education. He also wrote on the intersections of religion with family planning, sexuality, law, race, and rural life. You certainly took your position in church and society seriously, Dr. Yates, and you showed your interdisciplinary spirit. But in addition to your work as a scholar, you've also made significant programmatic or administrative contributions to the field of theology and the arts. You founded the journal Arts in 88, serving as editor for 25 years. You were one of the founders of SARTS, serving as president and chair of the board. You've been president and board member of the Center for Arts, Religion and Education at Berkeley, where the American chair of ACE, the Arts and Christian Inquiry and International Scholarly Society, and you served on numerous museum boards. You also led the design, fundraising and construction of the Bigelow Chapel at United, which received the American Institute of Architects Award for Best Religious Building in 2004. And you established the program in religion and the arts at United, now fittingly named the Intersection 
the Wilson Yates Center for Theology and Art. A busy man. <laughs> Welcome, Wilson. It's good to be with you again, even if only virtually. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you. Those were very kind words. Of course, what you left out was what didn't work. <laughs> You'll have an opportunity to tell us about that. Uh, well, what I would like to say uh, with that, and there's much more I could have mentioned, but on behalf of all of us who care about the intersection of religion, theology, and the arts, thank you. Uh, that's very good work, not just in quantity, but in quality. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've touched many lives in many ways, a good career. So one of the many things I didn't mention is that Wilson hosted the first three SARTS podcasts with William Dernis, Robin Jensen, and Charles Pickstone. Check them out, very interesting. But today I get to turn the tables on him and interview him for our podcast. Now our goal is to keep these sessions to around 30 minutes, around, you know, kind of general, but close to 30 minutes. And clearly, given all that I've said, we need a lot more time than that. So we decided to break our conversation into two sessions. This, the first, will focus broadly on Wilson's scholarly work in the field of theology and art. The second on his more programmatic work. We recognize that this is a totally arbitrary division as the two mutually inform each other. They intersect, to borrow one of Wilson's favorite terms, but it's at least a general framework for dividing our two sessions. So let's get to it. Ready, Wilson? I'm ready, Bill. So a basic question, why the arts? Uh, what's the connection between art and religion or art and theology? And why is this important? Well, uh, I'm a firm believer in the adage that <clears throat> we are shaped by our teachers, whoever that teacher may be, our mother, my, our fathers, or indeed, in this case, our, our professors in graduate school and undergraduate school. And uh, at Vanderbilt, I studied with Langdon Gilkey and Gordon Kaufman and Jim Sellers, and all of them had an interest in the arts, and all of them had an interest in understanding society and culture. So those themes played in me and with me. Um, and when I went to Harvard, I studied particularly with, with, with James Luther Adams and, um, and and the importance of the of, of the of the work with and with Robert Bella. And the importance of both of them was their interest in Tillich, as indeed Langdon Gilkey uh, had uh, had an interest as well. And and so in some respects, if I was shaped by a Langdon Gilkey and a James Luther Adams, I was shaped by a Paul Tillich or a, 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 a Niebuhr. Um, and so, so Tillich was very interested in the arts and he did influence me greatly. Uh, I only met him once when he came to Vanderbilt uh, on a special uh you know, speaking engagement, and mm -hmm. he was the psychology department and the art history department and so forth. And I was picked as the student who would show him around. Well, at four o'clock, he finished. And I asked Dr. Tillich, I said, what would you like to do now? We, we have a lovely lounge you, you could rest in, or uh, is there something I could get you? And he said, well, 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 Wilson, I think I would like a beer. Do you have a pub? Well, 
wonderfully so, a, a student pub right off the campus. And I took him there, and then he held forth. And the more he held forth, it was a student pub, the more students gathered. And wow. so out of all of that very formal and high uh, celebration of Tillich and his work was a moment in the pub that I remember all these years later. But James Luther Adams was the father figure. And he taught me about freedom. He taught me about order. He taught me about, um, above all, and this relates to what we're talking about, mm -hmm. he taught me about the importance of always asking, what are the institutional implications of a moral judgment or a theory? That is to say, we as academics can spin theories beautifully, but do we stop and say, what are the implications for the way that would have us order society or order the church or order the, 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 the theological school? And, and that was a very important lesson, which has to do with both my interest in trying to write something about the theory, if you will, but but mm -hmm. taking seriously implications that we need organizations and we need funding and we need other things to make it work. Now, I may, be, I may be missing your original question, well, but- Yeah, well, let's come back just in general. So yeah, that's a great context. Uh, Within that, why, what did you learn from these folks? And in particular, Tillich, who is uh, very significant in this uh, whole movement. Why is art the, uh, important for theology? Well, um, let, let me say one personal note there in terms of why is art important to a Wilson Yates and perhaps okay. Bill Cahoy or someone else. And that is that I was introduced to the arts, actually in my home growing up, and, and arts writ broadly, uh, music, the visual arts, and so forth. But when I went to college, uh, I was an English major, and I particularly focused on Southern literature, the Southern Renaissance in literature. And then going to Vanderbilt, I became interested in the visual arts, and Gordon Kaufman was was very helpful, as was Langdon Gilkey. And once again, they were saying to me, art is important to life. And for them, drama was very important. If you remember that period of the 50s and 60s, the drama in the church was a very important uh -huh. uh, happening at the moment. And so so I was shaped in, in that fashion. Now let's get to theology. Um, it seems to me that theology needs to reflect on the culture in which the church is set, and it needs to make sense out of that culture. Let me take a simple example from Tillich. Tillich's main interest was modern art because he said it gave him, as a theologian, insights into the human situation, and that's what he wanted it to do. He was less interested in some respects where artists were pointing towards the transcendence of God. But what, what I began to discover slowly that art is a different mode of understanding, a different mode of experience. It does call upon reason, but it calls particularly on the emotions. 
and and so suddenly you are dealing with a painting. Let's take one we all know, Picasso's Guernica, the great prophetic work in which Guernica, leveled by the Nazis, was uh, portrayed by Picasso in this painting in which he has uh, anger and defeat all expressed in very emotional and powerful terms in a cubist approach. If, if we take that, you can analyze it rationally, but when that work of art, so to speak, hits you, your emotions come into play. You feel the anger in the painting. You feel the utter despair of the woman with the child that appears to be dead. You, you feel the strangeness and almost fright of the bull that seems to appear to be looking in on the scene. So, so the arts, I think, call upon our intuitive also and our emotional capacities. You might say the arts ignite our aesthetic sensibilities and in so doing, offer us a different way of knowing. We know with our mind, we know cognitively, we know rationally, but we can also know aesthetically and intuitively and emotionally. And that's where art uh, speaks to us. Now, let's go back to theology. If mm -hmm. theology is attempting to make sense out of culture or to make sense out of some local congregation, it can't just look at the statistics and reason about and reason about the, the congregation it must also not in place of but also look at the, the 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 emotional the intuitive the aesthetic life of those people what pictures do they hang have hanging on the walls what are the colors of their clothes they wear and so on and so forth until mm -hmm. Ended. And then you go into their sanctuary, and and here is a sanctuary in which uh, may be elaborate or may be very simple. Each has its own aesthetic meaning, but when they worship, they are dependent upon artistic symbols. Let's just think a moment of the artistic symbols. There, there, there is the, the architecture of a building they're going into. Maybe poor architecture style, or it may be a rich one, but they go into a building. They're dealing, living in a liturgical space. And what do they have with other arts? They listen to music. They participate in music. What about dance? The rudiments of dance are in their standing, in their sitting, in their folding of their hands, mm -hmm. perhaps in kneeling, all in unison. There is story in the scripture, and there is poetry in the Psalms. Mm -hmm. There are the craft arts, there are the fabric arts, there are glass arts, there are paintings, and soon we have all of the arts that have been deemed essential for us to worship, for us yeah, to- great the Holy Spirit, if you will. Sure. And, and we all know that what saves us in church is finally not the terrible sermon, but the beautiful choir's presentation of Bach. Now, don't quote me on that. No, I, but, but that, that, well, it's, it's a, uh, we, we can learn from the art in that uh, we form the art, and it tells us something about 
why we form the art that way. And the yeah. art in turn forms us as we yeah, go forward, right. that, that reciprocal process. Right. So you mentioned uh, the, the addition of emotion, which certainly makes sense uh, as, as a way of knowing, uh, breaking down that barrier between thinking and, and feeling. But uh, throughout your work, uh, and you've been doing it here a bit and in much of your scholarship, you make a case, as do most people in this field, both explicitly and implicitly, that a serious engagement or dialogue with art requires, and here I have a quote from one of your pieces, that I bring a well-honed knowledge of art, as well as a knowledge of the work with which I am engaging, like you did with Guernica. I should bring visual literacy that enables me to read the art. All right, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, it involves reason and knowing things. It's more than just feeling. But while this sounds reasonable to me, uh, it's also at odds, or at least it could be, with what we often hear about art, that it's all about what I, as a viewer, hearer, et cetera, observer, see or feel about it. It's just what it means to me. And my opinion, unformed, no education, is as valid as anybody else's, including the artist or scholars. You know, de gustibus non est disputandum. Uh, so uh, how do you respond to that? Why, why bother with all this academic study? Just go and look at the thing and it's fine. Of course, you're putting, you're putting your finger on one of the, the dilemmas of this society generally, that if I feel it or if I know it in whatever level, it's true. Right. And, doesn't require any preparation. I don't think a person needs to be an art history major to enjoy a work of art. In fact, you don't have to have much education at all. It's the seriousness of the encounter. It's whether the encounter takes into account the color, the shapes, the form, the style that's operating. But uh, what I would say to that person is that... Um, you would call the plumber to come and fix your pipes when the main line breaks mm -hmm. because they have an expertise that will allow them to fix the plumbing. So if you're going to take seriously art, whether it's the music or, it, or it's the visual image or it's the architecture, you 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 should call for somebody some body of knowledge some rudiments of understanding or at least an openness to receiving what is given and um and 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 that it seems to me is the first step in trying to deal with the person who is just saying if i if i see it feel it think it it's true i i I have worked on some ways in which um, I think art intersects with theology and with religion. Mm -hmm. and, and the obvious one is in worship and liturgy. Art intersects with worship and liturgy because we are dependent on the symbols created mm -hmm. in an artistic manner, and all of the arts are present. I, I just listed those a bit earlier, but but the right. arts further, they they are a way of helping us read Christian history or Jewish history or Muslim history. Mm -hmm. The point is the images, whatever they may be, 
the mosque, the synagogue, the church is architecture. It tells us something about God, tells us something about ourselves. But what I'm saying here is when we mm -hmm. look back and we look at Eastern Orthodoxy and the icon and we look at medieval work, we look at early Renaissance and Giotto and the transition into the Renaissance. And then we look at, at the height of the Renaissance with one of the great theologians, Michelangelo, whose spirituality, I think, in, it would reveals to us, any of us, if we do a little work, the depth of spirituality in the late Renaissance period. And I'd like to turn around and say that's what Rembrandt does for the Protestants in the birth of Protestantism. But, mm -hmm. but then art also can be prophetic. It could call down judgment, as Picasso did, upon, upon the destruction, the evil intentions that some rulers, some people have. And art also can raise existential questions. And uh, mm -hmm. it, let's change that. To, let's, it raises religious questions. It raises questions about birth and death and chaos in order and freedom and what they mean to me spiritually and how I see them in the world. They can bombard me or they can invite me. But art helps raise religious questions. And I, I think a further one is that art... Um, Art can be sacramental. Now, I want to be cautious of that. Um, what I mean is that a work of art can be a means through which we experience grace. It can be a source of understanding God in a transcendent reality as a mystery. It can be an understand. It can be a source for understanding Mary and the child, whether it's an icon or a medieval painting, or Renaissance, or a, or a Rembrandt painting, whatever. The, the, the point I'm wanting to make is art can become that means through which we are called into, and art can help enable what we might otherwise call a religious experience. Yeah, an experience fabulous. of our own sinfulness, an experience of our own redemption, an experience of our own journey on this very strange road of uh, the spiritual journey. I once wrote an article called The Arts as Companion on the Spiritual Journey. Mm -hmm. And I, I, would I read like that. It's good. Lead them out. But it's clearly uh, the role is, I mean, so there's uh, the role as, as a window into the culture, disclosing things, like you say, as a supplement to statistical information and so on. Uh, there are those who use art in a kind of didactic way as, you know, illustrating theological points, which you haven't talked about. Yeah. But, uh, and then more, for, uh, and, and for good reason. Uh, and more profoundly though, art doesn't so much give answers as it raises questions that activate the religious imagination and the spiritual life. And it, yes. But it almost then becomes, as you mentioned with icons and all the parts that go into liturgy, a uh, a component of the spiritual life. Uh, right, oh, that's beautifully stated. Yeah. It, it, so with that, and that uh, oh, go ahead. Well, it's not added on or other than what you're saying is it's integral too. Right, well, you're saying that. <laughs> so I, I have another question here. Uh, that in a, you did a keynote address for uh, SARTS uh, a few years back, which was is also published in ARTS. 
Rich, you looked back at 70 years of the relation of theology and arts, now probably close to 80 almost, but essentially from World War II to the present. And you make a case there for what you call a dialogical approach. And I've got two questions here, but that, uh, maybe just, uh, we'll see if we can get to both of them. But the first is you say there that since World War II, theologians have written about the visual arts more extensively and in greater depth than they had over the past 400 years. Why do you think that is? What is it about this time since World War II that has led to this particular interest of theologians in art? Uh, about the 400 years, uh, John Dillenberger once said to me, the Catholics got stuck in the Baroque mm -hmm. and they wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote about the Baroque. And the Protestants got stuck in simplistic piety. And they built buildings that reflected the, not simply the simplicity, but the simpleness of, of religious architecture. But then John, who was of that era, uh, uh, said, but we are breaking out. We now find a, across the, the, uh, the, the religious boundaries, take someone like Father Couturier in Paris, who, who challenges the bishops, who, who gets the artists together and creates a chapel like Bons, uh mm -hmm. in France, or, or take a Paul Tillich, who was doing it for what we might call mainline Protestantism, and others who did it for different, which I talk about in that article, uh, right. get it from different perspectives. But uh, in the well, I'm losing the, the my earlier point, the original point in the in the dialogue. Um, I you ask why does this happen? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. there's several specific reasons. One is American culture was opening to the arts in an exciting way, and they were they were popularizing. Let's take the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It was a somewhat austere museum of everybody but really the elite. And suddenly the Metropolitan turns it around and invites in not only the city of New York, but the cities of America. And you can go th through major cities and find those museums that satisfied a particular uh, audience now were pressing for new audiences. I think that's one thing that was happening. Mm -hmm. Another was there were artists from from Europe who came over, particularly the abstract expressionist who came over during the war. But uh, I'm trying to think of the of the artist uh, who came and was hosted by St. Benedict College at, Col at your Collegeville. Oh, but yeah, uh, anyway, he was a very important, I would say, post-impressionist. And and then in St. Louis had uh, Beckman and and suddenly German Expressionism. And so so there were artists that were coming from other cultures, and that also included Asia, uh, who were suddenly present, and there were exhibitions. Mm -hmm. Now, the second thing were foundations. They gave money to support programs. And it wasn't to educate everybody to, quote, high art. It was to educate people to good art. If you want to talk about country Western music, 
you, mm-hmm. You've got a scale of rather poor country western and splendid country western, and we've just had the death of Loretta Lynn, mm-hmm. who was one of the splendid uh, persons uh, who was in country western or country music. And we could go through all sorts of styles, and and that's where foundation money was helping. And then academic institutions, they began to, quote, listen and there was greater attention to the arts. So, see, I think what happened was not just ideas that there ought to be more in the arts. Yeah. There were institutions that were giving money, that were creating courses, that were designing programs, which touched people, uh, lots of different groups of people in new and fresh ways. Um, so I think those were some of the factors. I also think that we we broke down some of that barrier in American society that really said art is ug, art is something I don't deal with. Art belongs to the problem people, uh, and and it came by educating the children perhaps, but it but it broke down that barrier so that while some might still say that, lots and lots of people come. If we take the Walker. Uh, art gallery in, in in Minneapolis. Uh, the art the the garden has sculpture mm. sculpture garden, and they work hard to get everybody to come. And even they can designate two or three sculptures that the children can climb on. Yeah, you know. So you mentioned at the beginning of uh, how art art is useful to theology and religion as a window into the culture and society. So if you think of the post-war culture from 45 to the present, let's say. What does this interest in art, this growing interest in art on the part of religious people tell you about the culture, be it secular or religious? Well, I think that the broader culture has, quote, in many ways discovered the range and depth of art. and, and, and the church is a part of that broader sculpture, but it's also called to be differentiated from it in certain crucial ways. And when you start talking about those differentiated parts, what is there? The arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, religious music is also played by the secular symphony and the secular chorus. And in turn, the church has its own way of, of, of nurturing that whether it's a, a Messian uh, uh, sonata or whether it, it, it's a it's a Bach fugue. Um, and so, so it seems to me that the church becomes to some extent a repository, but also it becomes a means for looking at art. See, what I want the church to do and what I want the theological school to do is proclaim in the land that the arts can touch your soul, the arts can nurture your spirituality, the arts can allow you to at least get a glimpse of the Holy Spirit as perhaps she passes by. However we say it, it's saying that, uh, that the arts are an ally of the church, even the arts that attack the church. Yeah. That itself is something to listen to. It's amazing in that period, you say, how often, quote, secular artists painted the crucifixion 
Mm-hmm. Now, Francis Bacon said, well, how can we not do it? Because it's an armature of culture. Well, there's some truth in that. But what he painted was powerful. Yeah. He, painted, he dealt with the fundamental religious idea of suffering with his presentation of the crucifix. Or Barbara Hepworth, that is at our Arboretum, uh, this amazing steel uh, uh complex cross that 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 is there for us to see and she doesn't give us a figure such as jesus on the cross suffering she gives us a disc and she did four of these and one of them's gold and one of them red and they are to point to god to the descendants because she had been very seriously ill and she recovered She, she thought she would die And she became very close to the idea of a God who was present. And so the cross became a means of a means of being saved from the disease. That So perhaps uh, so perhaps the forms of scripture commentary, for instance, uh, are not only uh, linguistic. They may also be artistic, and that commentary can be as enlightening and enriching as uh, the others. Well, Wilson, with that, uh, our time comes to an end. I thank you. Uh, That went by way too fast, and I look forward to our second conversation. All right. Talk to you then. We'll have to finish this one uh, over a beer at the pub. Amen. Oh, well, as long as I don't have to play the role of Tilly. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be you. All right. Thank you. Thank you.